Sorry, I didn't check if... Do I just press the arrow key? Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, thank you so much for having me here. Good morning, everyone, and happy Sabbath. And, um, yeah, uh, I was actually saying to Sharon that I haven't preached in about a year, over a year since I've... Um, and my family and I moved over here from Perth last year. Uh, we've only been here for a year, uh, so we're still a little bit new and um, taking on new responsibilities, uh, as um, Jinha said, that I work at the Australian Union Conference for ATSUM and, um, and my husband was able to get a job in the same company that he was working in in Perth. And so now we've kind of settled in quite a bit now in, in, um, in Melbourne here and we're happy. So I just want to thank you so much um, for having us and for the message that I'm going to share with you today. So the um, most common question that I get from people in the church, even in the church, is what is ATSUM? What does it stand for and what do we do? And um, so I guess, um, firstly, ATSUM stands for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Ministries. And we are a department that is not very old. We're quite a young department in the church. And uh, we minister to, obviously, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in Australia. Part of my job is to um, promote who we are and also produce uh, resources uh, that are culturally appropriate and resources that are to help Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders to form a relationship with Jesus or get a better relation, um, have more of a relationship with him. Um, ones that are appealing as well. So I've actually brought some of our resources in today that I'd like to share. You are welcome to take them home if you like. Um, so that's for later on um, afterwards. So um, Jin had asked me to talk uh, about what we do in Atsum, as well as a little bit about um, reconciliation and um, as Christians, how do we... Um, put that all together as well. So tomorrow, today actually, is National Sorry Day. And if you remember a few years ago, um, Kevin Rudd did the National Apology. And tomorrow kicks off Reconciliation Week until June 3. And we, it is an opportunity for Australians to get to understand um, Aboriginal culture, um, also Australia's history, and although we've come quite far, um, even more than when I was at school, we still have a long way to go. But um, it's great now that with my children in school, I can see that um, there's more happening in our schools and embracing Aboriginal culture uh, more than when I was at school. So um, if you ever get a chance this uh, weekend or over the week, uh, if you go to the museums or art galleries to check out the Aboriginal section of it, um, that's uh, our family loves going to museums and we always make sure we go to that section um, every time we go. And or read a book or there's plenty of DVDs out there as well to, um, to watch. And I'm sure there might be things on NITV or ABC or SBS as well. So today I'd like to share with you the work of ATSUM and how we've grown over the 40 years. We are, our department has only been here for 40 years, but long before then we have ministered to Aboriginal people in Australia um, before our department started off. Um, and I'll go more into that with you. Your God has called ordinary, my, uh, my title today is Ignite the Ordinary, and I want to talk about how God has called ordinary men and women to do extraordinary things in our church. And I'd like to share the people that have been part of our history in forming Atsum to where we are today. As Adventists, um, we have the mission that um, we are called to become disciples of Christ and to proclaim the everlasting gospel and to prepare the world for Christ's soon return. And today my, um, my talk is going to be based around um, one main um, part in the Bible. I'd like, if you'd like to turn with me, to Matthew 9, 
verse 34, 35, sorry. And we read in Matthew how Jesus um, sends out 12 disciples and he asks them to teach and heal and preach the good news of the kingdom of God throughout the villages of Israel. And as he prepares them, we read here in 35, uh, so verse 35 of 9, Jesus travelled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers in his field. So who are the labourers and what is the harvest? Jesus and his little community of disciples were small and they lived on the margins of society, yet crowds flocked to come, eager and hungry to hear the good news of the kingdom. Like a mustard seed growing into the greatest of shrubs or a little bit of yeast causing a whole loaf to rise, God used these handfuls of disciples to do ordinary acts. From their ordinary acts of obedience, they were able to impact the world in an extraordinary way. We even look in the Bible of the story of Abraham and Sarah, who were so old and and in their 80s and still childless. And God had promised Abraham and his descendant uh, that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars. And but yet here they were without children. It was physically impossible. But God had promised it multiple times and he insisted that not only Abraham's descendants be as numerous as stars, but he would make a covenant with Abraham's son through Sarah. In Genesis 18, we read about how Abraham was sitting in the shade and three men came up to him. And of course, Abraham immediately bowed and he wanted to um, offer his hospitality to them and um, offer them water and get Sarah to prepare a meal for them. And as they talked with Abraham, they asked where Sarah was. And of course, I guess um, in that culture, uh, in those days, women would, weren't able to come and sit out with the men as they were talking. And she was there hiding in the, behind the, the tent listening. And when the Lord said unto Abraham that she would bear a child, what do we know that she did? She laughed, didn't she? Because it was, she, she felt it was impossible. And how, how was this possible to happen? And, you know, throughout, but instead the Lord assures her that she will. And when he returns, she will bear a child. And God's response responds by saying, I will make anything happen, any, even out of ridiculous situations. And throughout the Bible, we read about how God always used unlikely people, ordinary people. He chose a barren couple to be the parents of many nations. He picked a wimpy kid to be the king of Israel. And he selected a family from the backwoods of Galilee to birth the son, the Messiah. Maybe that's the way God likes things. I'd like to share with you some stories about how God has ignited ordinary people out of in ordinary situations to do extraordinary things in our church. I work with a team all across Australia and we have, these are our at some directors here you can see that work in different parts. We also have a remote pastor and um, that's him over just there in the in the West Australia side and he works six months of the year traveling around to very remote communities Pastor Don and his wife Eileen and they go through Western Australia South Australia and Northern Territory and this has um, been something a structure that Atsum has changed to do um, so that the Atsum director doesn't do all of that from Melbourne so now we've got this team that works in each of our conferences and under that they have volunteers and Bible workers that help support them in their ministry. And like I said, our, our 
our department is very young, it's only 40 years old. But from um, this, from having our directors, we also run um, small regional camps every year throughout the year in each of our conferences. And they're family camps that we can, Aboriginal people can come together and worship, can connect and network. And then every three years we have a national camp and we have um, all groups from all over Australia coming. And next year is our next Aboriginal national camp and we'll be meeting in South Australia in January and it's the first time we've been there. We usually go to Western Australia or Brisbane um, but people wanted to be somewhere in the middle so um, hopefully that'll all turn out okay. Uh, so right now this year we're very busy in preparing for all of that. So this is the team that I work with. This is the team that we get together and think about how we can better minister to our, our um, people on the ground level and, um, and they help with supporting my role as well. So as I said, even though we're young, we still had ministry happening in Aboriginal communities long before. And this is a picture of Pastor Philip Rudge, who in 1910 was commissioned by the conference to go and work in the Maclay area in Queen, uh, New South Wales, near Kempsey. And he worked in Burnt Bridge. So I'm just going to share with you some stories about um, uh, Northern, uh, New South Wales first. So he started that up and also there was a mission that was set up up in North Queensland that he was also a part of, of being involved in. This here is Pastor George Quinlan and Esther Quinlan, his wife, both who have now passed away. But he was our first Aboriginal ordained pastor and he was um, ordained in 1975, so not that long ago. Oh, sorry, no, 1980. Um, but Pastor George worked with our conference presidents, with our conferences and our division in starting really um, this movement and starting, how, um, you know, having meetings with our conferences and talking with them, telling them the importance and the need of how we want the message to be sent out to these communities. And he would travel with them and take them to communities and all around Australia. So this, um, this is a picture of Pastor Dudley Vaughan and his wife Elizabeth Vaughan. And he was an evangelist and he is from, and they were from Western Australia. So these, this couple is very important to me because this is where it makes the connection for where I come in to all of this. So Pastor Dudley Vaughan was a an evangelist who worked in the conference in his Voice of Prophecy van, which is what they had back then. And in this van, they would show, he would have little video or slide clips that he would um, tell people about Jesus in. So the people would go into the van and watch this clip and he, that's how they would minister. And he'd travel all around um, the southwest of Perth and Perth. And then the... Um, a West Australian Conference had asked him to go up to Western Australia, uh, the middle of Western Australia, into the Western Desert where they had bought some land. And they asked him if he could help start opening um, a school there that they uh, wanted to open. So there's some people there in the van that he was um, ministering in. And so that's where in Western Australia he was asked to go to Carolundis. So um, we, it, it takes us about nine hours to drive um, to Carolundi from Perth. And um, if you get up early and do it all, you get there uh, about dinner time. And, but back in those days, they didn't have the roads that we have. And so it would have taken them a lot longer than that. But he packed up his wife and his five children and they went up there and he was the pastor there. But he had to take his team, he had to take builders. Then they started to build the school and, um, and the teachers that we have, um, that were the first teachers there. So what is interesting about this school is that it was built in the 1950s. So it was still when Stolen Generation and those things were still happening. And um, 
what was good about this was that these children who came to these schools weren't children that were taken. Um, these were children that parents wanted their kids to come to this school. And um, so how it came about that they were able to get kids to come here. Um, my Aboriginal family, I come from the Mundaljara tribe, which is from the Western Desert of Western Australia. And they actually lived more closer to the Northern Territory border. And I remember as a little girl, my grandfather saying stories about how he would see strange things flying in the sky. And being a superstitious culture, um, they thought that this was bad, bad spirits, and they wanted to move away from that. And that's when they started to move towards the middle of Western Australia. Um, it turns out that that was probably the rocket testings and stuff that they were doing in the Northern Territory at the time. Um, but of course they had no idea of that. So the first white people that my family, my tribe had met were the Vaughans and the teachers that were there. And um, of his children, his eldest daughter um, ended up being my brother and sister and my um, our foster um, parents and, his, and her husband. So um, our family learnt English from them and the Vaughans learnt Maru, which is our language. Um, then they started to learn a little bit of Western ways, learning how to sew and cook in different ways. But also um, the white families that were there learnt traditional or some traditional things, not all, but um, they were able to learn to hunt and um, be a part of some of that culture with the Aboriginal people, uh, my family, that were there. So this is what Karalundi looks like now. Um, currently it is closed. We are hoping that it can open again, but um, we're just in a great lot of prayer at the moment about this school. But what I can tell you about this school is since it has been there from the 50s and even to now, people, students who have gone through this this school um, learning because it's a government funded school but run by the Seventh-day Adventist Church and anywhere you go in these remote communities, even people that you might bump into Perth, in Perth or out remote, um, there'll be somebody connected to or they went to Karolundi or their grandparents went to Karolundi and you can tell they just have this different uh, look about them and um, because Pastor Dudley and his team were there because they loved Jesus and they came with this, um, you know, he came from a very, he was an orphan and he had no one that he loved, that loved him when he grew up and he had compassion for people that he wanted to be there and help them. And so while they were there also, they set up Walloona Mission, which is another community about 200 k's from Karalundi and um, they had a church there as well. So there he is um, getting his award from the Queen for his work in the church, um, working with Aboriginal people. And the lady to the left is Barbara Reynolds, who is my foster mum. And that's um, his, his daughter. We also have um, another school at the moment, and that is Karawa, and that is in the middle of the desert in North New South Wales. And um, it's been going really well in the last 12 months and um, getting good numbers of students coming. And same thing is we'd, we'd, it's, we'd love for this school to be as successful in its ministry um, to the people out in those areas as Karalundi uh, was as well. And here are some, uh, these are our directors that we've had in the past up in the top. And um, currently we now have Pastor Darren Garlett, who actually is our first Aboriginal uh, director that we've had in our department. And I just wanted to show a photo here of Pastor Don and Eileen, who are the couple that travel around in our remote communities. They are going to some of the most remote communities that have never even heard about Jesus before, even from any other um, denomination. And um, they are, it's incredible the stories and, um, that you hear from them and, and their um, outreach. So 
We worship in different ways, um, in the middle of the desert, maybe even at night because it's cooler, it's too hot. Sometimes um, in, we have some Aboriginal churches around Australia. Uh, sometimes they just throw um, a blanket up for shade or find a piece of material to put up. And um, there's, the far um, right picture there is a picture of a student on the guitar. He's one of our students from our Mamarafa College, which I'll talk about soon. And that's his little church there that he's starting up. Um, he's the only Seventh-day Adventist in his community, and he's um, trying to preach and let um, people know about Jesus in his community. So we also have churches underground, um, which we do in Kibapiti. So I wanted to also mention here about Mamarafa College. This is our college in Perth. It's an adult college and originally was called the Bible College because students would come to learn ministry here. They do a certificate and advanced diploma in ministry. And um, now we've got health courses as well. And this year, actually, um, we had the largest number of students enrolled, 91 students come. And um, as you can see, our classrooms are packed. We do not have the room for all these students. So because of the work that our Bible workers are doing, because of our work of Pastor Don and Eileen are doing out in these remote communities, the word is going out and people are wanting to learn more about Jesus. And they're signing up to Mamarafa College to become... Um, ministers or um, to teach people in their community and so we're praying for larger classrooms uh, more space for our little college and part of their course is to um, they learn to speak up the front and take a service and and all of that as well and um, last year we celebrated the 21 years of its operation so we've got there our union president and secretary and some of the staff and conference members that were there. So as you can see that, um, you know, beneath their ordinary exteriors at the start, I'm sure there was this beating passion to do something extraordinary. And with their Bibles and their love and their faith, they paved the way that leads us to where we are today and even the future because with all things with um, with God all things are possible and we can see this in stories that we've read in the Bible we've grew up reading when Moses opened the sea Daniel sitting in the in the lion's den and Peter standing on the water and David a young boy killing a giant and even when you strip all those special effects and how amazing those stories were when we were kids um, you know, that because of their obedience to God, these extraordinary things happened. These schools started and the word started spreading out to these remote communities. You know, when Pastor Dudley Vaughan came to visit this site at Caralundi, all he saw was red dirt and shrubs. But God saw a bigger plan and a bigger picture. And it's incredible the amount of people who now know Jesus because of that school, because of the incredible staff over all these years who've come to minister there. You know, God sees our potential, but also do we really have that empathy and that respect towards others to obey God? And when we look at the issues in Australia, do, how do we react to those things? You know, we, we see the issues of, um, like we're talking about reconciliation and, and Aboriginal history, Australian history, and what, what do we as Christians, um, how do we look at that? And it is a bit of a strange question because I think people assume, well, because we're Christians, we should already be um, have the empathy, but not always. And so I think we need to look at things differently as well as not only obeying God we need to ask God to give us the heart that Jesus had for the lost people when we see his heart in Matthew 9 36 seeing we read that verse again seeing the people he felt compassion on them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd we need to see as Jesus saw and feel as Jesus felt 
and we will so that we will do what Jesus did. You know, in verse 34, 5, it gives us a summary of Jesus' ministry at the time. He was going through all the villages. He was teaching, proclaiming the gospel and healing every kind of disease. Then in 36 to 35, it reports a specific incident on one of those occasions when Jesus saw the crowds. So perhaps they approached him so, and he felt compassion for them. And that's when he gave the charge to his disciples. Presumably when Jesus and the disciples saw this same scene of the people approaching them, um, I, you know, Jesus saw them, but how did the disciples see them? Did the disciples see them as Jesus did? There was really nothing unusual about the crowd unless um, there might have been a few more sick or disabled people, but no more than the previous days. But the disciples probably thought as they did on other occasions when they, their needs were being overwhelmed that they thought to send them away. But Jesus saw them differently and he felt compassion for them. How often do we walk through the city and pass people who are sitting on the ground? We see so many homeless people in the city, one after the other. And what do we think when we pass them? Or do we look ahead and look away? Um, in Perth, we, uh, before we moved here, that's where we were living. And um, I don't recall seeing as many homeless people as I, I have seen here in Melbourne. There's actually quite a lot. And, um, and since we've been here in the year, we've been exploring and um, looking around the city and going to different places to try to get to know the area. And we love coming here into the city. And um, last year at Christmas time, we came to have a look at the lights. And um, I think really for the first time, um, Cooper was really, you know, he asked me, how come there's so many people sitting here? What are they doing? Where do they live? Um, who are they? And, and, you know, I had a little chat with him and tried to ask him not to stare and, and all of that. But I could see it ticking over in his head and I could see he was thinking about it. And on another occasion, um, I was just driving in the car with Cooper and Eva and we'd just done something in the city and we're on our way home and we stopped at the lights um, just here on Flinders, near Flinders Station. And um, he said, oh, Mum, there's an Aboriginal lady sitting on the floor over there on the ground and she doesn't look like she's from here. And so I looked over and, and I said, oh, yeah, she might be from Northern Territory or Western Australia. And then the first thing he said was, can we go and talk to her? And um, that really made me think, wow, you know, here I've grown to um, learn to ignore them or, you know, ignore or walk away or try to not. And here I'm trying to tell him not to stare and, and all of that. And that was the first thing that he said was that he saw this lady who looked like she wasn't from here. She was sitting on the side and... Um, that he wanted to go and talk to her. And, you know, many people, many times, we don't see people the way that Jesus sees them. So how does Jesus see people? He saw lost people as distressed, the words meaning troubled. Um, it points to the load of problems that people, apart from Christ, bear. Jesus saw lost people as dispirited, the word means downcast or thrown down. It points to the utterly helpless and forsaken condition of people who are lost in sin without the Saviour. We, um, when I was fostered, my foster parents own a property down the southwest of Perth, and um, it's called, we call it the farm, which is a farm, and it originally was a dairy farm, and but they also had uh, sheep on the farm as well. And when we were living in Perth, growing up as kids, we would um, be at school and work during the week, but then every weekend we'd go down to the farm um, to do any work that needed to be done. And as a little girl, I just loved being out on the property with him and loved being out on the ute. And he actually um, 
he didn't really he had sheep but he always just kept he always would say they were dumb animals and he just would get frustrated with them because they there'd be little small groups that would run off and do their own thing and then get lost or they'd get stuck in the mud at the bottom of the creek and we'd have he'd have to I'd be sitting there watching him trying to pull this sheep out of the mud and and even on times there would be sheep that would fall over on their back and couldn't get back uh, um lift themselves up and so their legs are, are um, up in the air and he would have to go and bring them back on their legs and so the frustration you could see but um, you know especially seeing the struggle and um, I remember thinking how funny that was but you know um, it made me think about again when we look at the Bible with how Jesus talks about sheep and the shepherd and helping us. You know, outwardly people may look calm and comfortable, they may be successful in worldly terms, but Jesus sees their hearts before God. They are legged up, their legs may be up, unable to help themselves from their sin. They are downcast or dispirited. They may look normal outwardly, but inwardly they are, as Paul describes them in Ephesians, without hope and without God in the world. Jesus saw lost people as sheep without a shepherd. The Jewish religious leaders should have been shepherding these people, pointing them to God, but instead they were self-righteous and self-seeking, looking down on common people as sinners. They viewed people as a bother, but Jesus viewed them as sheep needing a shepherd. Jesus saw the great harvest of lost people. He said the harvest is plentiful. This was an important concept that Jesus wanted his disciples to grasp. On another occasion, after speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well, he told the disciples, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. He repeated it again as he sent out 70 for ministry. And he told the fearful apostle Paul to go preach in Corinth, explaining, For I have many people in this city. There was a harvest waiting to be reaped. The harvest doesn't depend on our techniques, but on God's sovereign purpose. He has planned a harvest and he has called us to get involved as reapers. We practically deny the truth of Jesus' words when we think, and I'm guilty of this as well, oh, he wouldn't want to hear about what I have to say about Jesus, or um, I don't want them to get offended if I start talking about Jesus. You know, Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful and it is God's job to open the hearts to those who are being told the gospel. It's our job to go into the harvest field and seek to reap a crop. So Jesus saw a great need of lost people and he saw a great harvest of lost people also. As the verse says, the workers are few. Jesus changed the metaphors here. First he used the metaphor of the sheep, but now it's the harvest. These two metaphors show two sides of the matter. The sheep are the shepherd shows men's need to meet by God. The shepherd, the good shepherd seeks out lost sheep and ministers to them. The harvest and the workers show God's need met by men because God uses saved people to save other people. Jesus' viewpoint is that of a, former, of a farmer who goes to a great crop ready to harvest, but he doesn't have enough reapers. And it's an interesting picture. On one hand, the Lord will accomplish all of his purpose, which includes the salvation of his elect, and yet at the same time, he has chosen to save lost people through whom he has already saved. He could have used angels who probably would have done a far more competent job than us, but he chose to use us. And so the plentiful harvest means that there is a need for more workers. If you were one of Jesus' sheep, he wants you to see yourself as a worker in his harvest. It is not by accident that the very next thing in Matthew's gospel is for Jesus to summon the 12 and appoint them to ministry. 
Up to this point, Jesus had done all the ministry while the disciples watched. And now he gets the disciples involved. Jesus wants you to open your eyes and to see the great harvest around so that you will be the working worker reaping souls who need God's the good shepherd. So to be like our saviour, we need to see as Jesus saw. The great need of lost people, the great harvest of lost people, and the great need for more workers in the harvest of lost people. Seeing as Jesus saw will lead us to this next step. We need to feel as Jesus felt. Note that in verse 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Downside, deep down inside, Jesus really felt for these people. He didn't angrily blame them for the mess that they were in, although he could have done. Rather, he felt compassion. Do we feel compassion for others, or do we shrug and think it's their fault? As Australians, do we feel compassion enough? Are we compassionate enough to refugees that are coming to Australia? who are wanting to flee their war-torn countries? Are we compassionate enough about the high statistics of domestic violence there are in Australia and mental illness? Are we compassionate enough about Aboriginal people who have the highest suicide rates, incarceration rates, even though we are only 3% of the population? Or is it all their own fault? In 2017, uh, 2015, I was chosen to go to the general conference session um, as a delegate, and I was the ATSM representative. And um, during the session, they have reports from all over, um, from all different countries. And um, there were many reports given, and I would have to say the one that really stood out for me more than anything else was a story about a woman I don't know her name, but I remember, I mean, it was so overwhelming. I was there crying the whole time as this story was being told about how she was called Mama and she was a woman who would visit um, this prison in South America. And this was probably the, one of the most dangerous prisons in the world. Um, and it held, um, you know the worst of the worst, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, um, drug dealers. And the reason why they called her mama was because she was the only one that really cared about them. And you see these footage as this um, conference or union was doing this report of this, these big, muscly, tattooed men, shaved heads, who'd done these terrible crimes crying on her shoulders, this little woman who was there as the Adventist woman telling them about Jesus. And there was a high percentage of those people baptised into the Seventh-day Adventist church. And that, to me, that just stood out to me um, than any other report um, at that session because it made me see that this is what it's all about. It's not about the budgets or the costs or a fancy office building or fancy cars. It's, it's not about, it's all about being like Christ, feeling as Christ felt, having compassion for people and reaching out. I recently lost a very special friend of mine and that was Pastor Davey and that was one of the pictures up there. He was... Um, the ATSM director, and I've known him since I was a young girl, and he was our ATSM director for many, many years, and he changed the way ATSM was, and um, we're incredibly grateful for the ministry that he and his wife did. And at his funeral, we were given an hour to allow people to come up and talk about what their memories of Pastor Davy were, and it actually turned into two and a half hours. And uh, most of those were from Aboriginal people coming up and talking. And all of the common um, comments that came back were that he, um, he didn't judge them. He, you know, they were shameful because the house might have been messy or whatever. And, and he never, he just, 
they saw him as Christ. And that was the common thing that was saying, we saw Jesus through him. And this is because he was a man who felt compassion. He was a man who saw as Jesus saw and felt as Jesus felt. So the last thing here, we need to do as Jesus did. So what did he do? He ministered to people's needs and he prayed for more workers. Ministry is not a stained glass word that applies only to those called into professional Christian work. Ministry means service. So every Christian is called to serve Christ. He was given, he has given you all unique gifts and opportunities and skills that you are to take with you and um, to take what he has given you and use it to serve. Even as a mother at home with your children, you still are there to serve God by teaching your kids about God. Matthew summarised Jesus' ministry by three things. He was teaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease. Not everyone is gifted to teach publicly, but private conversations you should be able to teach to others as um, the God's word. At Mamarafa College, I worked there. Before I had a full-time job there, I started just working at nights tutoring students. And it's incredible the stories that they've shared with me, stories that you can't possibly really, you know, it's just so difficult to understand. I sat in front of a man who was telling me a story of the life that he was before he knew Jesus. And I just thought, I can't even imagine you being that aggressive or that angry. And to women who've lost their children through murders or, you know, horrible things that have happened, here they are at Mamarafa. They've found Christ, uh, they've accepted him, and now they want to share other people. Uh, share his word to other people. So these are people who may not necessarily be up the front going around preaching. They're, they're one-on-one with people, quietly just doing their ministry in their community. Again, not everyone is called to preach publicly, but every believer should be ready when the opportunity presents itself to tell others how they can have their sins forgiven and go to heaven. If God is calling you to make a big difference today, he is likely to start in a small way. Is there something you're good at that God can transform into greatness? Will you give the Lord permission to ignite your ordinary? As God said to the prophet Samuel, the Lord does not see as mortal the mortal see. Human beings look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What is our motive of getting involved in evangelism? Our motive is the great love of our Saviour, who came to this sinful world, who saw the great needs of lost people, who felt compassion for them, who served them with the good news of salvation. If you have experienced that salvation, then you're one of his workers in his harvest. He wants you to see as he saw, to feel as he felt, and to do as he did. Love lost people for Jesus' sake. The Spirit of God is at work in the lives of our first Australian people, right across the expanse of this country from remote outback desert countries to rural towns and large coastal cities and sprawling urban centres. This is the fastest growing ministry in the Adventist Church in Australia at the moment and we thank God for that. And it's wonderful to see the lives change and God's kingdom of peace being firmly established. I have something that I'd like to share with you, which is from our students from Mamarafa College um, as we end, and um, to see how people who've been able to come from where they've come from and how their lives have changed because of Christ, but because there were people, ordinary people, who went out and stepped out and took that plunge to tell them about Jesus.
trust to cry out to him and you'll find no curtain there no reason left for fear there's perfect freedom here to weep every unwed tear come lift up your sorrow Offer your pain. Come make a sacrifice of all your shame. There in your wilderness, He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to worship Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that you came to this earth to die for us. Lord, we want to thank you for giving us the talents and the gifts that you have. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to work with us, even if there's things that we think are impossible and things that we may even laugh at. Lord, help us to have that faith in you, to ask you to use us and that we may hear your calling. Lord, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share today. It doesn't matter where we are in Australia, whether it's remote or in the city, we all need you. Thank you for your love and your compassion, and help us, Lord, to see what you saw, to feel what you felt, and to do what you did. In your name, amen. <laughs> 